How you doing? We're good. Coffee is ready. Uh, my my wife's already cooked up some bacon and said I should have brought it on screen, but I wasn't that brave. So I am between Colorado Springs and Denver in a place called Palmer Divide up in the trees in Colorado. You live in a tree? Trees and oh. mule deer and elk and turkey. And yeah, it's like friggin' wild kingdom here. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm doing great. Good morning, everybody. I'm also in Colorado. Used to do the mountains thing. And then after 14 years came to my senses. And so we've been down in the metro area, uh, just outside of Denver here for the last 18 months and kind of getting used to it. That's nice. Now you, you're surrounded by trees too, but your trees happen to have strings and whammy bars on them. So, all right, we are here to talk about none about trees or guitars or all that kind of fun stuff. We're here to talk about your book. Um, <laughs> So let's let's get down to brass tacks. What was it about this book that you guys wanted to write? I mean, what was who you know? All of a sudden, you've been working with people, and you saw a need. You don't write a book because you feel like it. You write it because there's a purpose. So, what was kind of the trigger for you guys? What what made you say, "Hey, let's write a book"? Before? Well, let me start. I, uh, I recall meeting Mark face to face for the first time about seven years ago, and yet we've been friends on social media. Um, for, for easily 10 years and uh, meeting face to face and going out to a steak dinner in downtown Chicago um, was expensive, but delicious. Um, but we really realized we had a very compatible viewpoint of what leaders need to do to create work cultures that don't suck. And both of us had been in the culture space and leadership space. And, and so we actually started the book about three plus years ago mm -hmm. with a bit more of a future of work kind of focus. And then this pandemic thing happened, which made us realize that really the root isn't about future of work, it's about now. And so we were able to take a year into a, to a publication, a manuscript, and throw that away and start again mm -hmm. <laughs> and, find, and find literally that, that leaders need to understand that the work environment is their creation and it's their responsibility to refine it if it sucks, to create civility and God forbid, maybe respect, which leads to better performance. So that's mm -hmm. my view of the genesis. Nice, nice. So, okay, so what was your impetus, Mark? What uh, what drove you to work with Chris and why, why was that important? Well, first of all, Chris, uh, in addition to being uh, quite literally a pioneer in the, in the culture space, in the culture leadership space, as he said, we kind of came at it from the same point of view that this, we got a little tired of CEOs, uh, uh, nonprofit executive directors, uh, startup founders saying, oh, well, culture, what it is what it is. It's, uh, I, mm -hmm. I've talked to HR about this. And, and yeah, it's not great, but HR is going to fix this. Wrong, dead wrong. Culture is a leadership issue. And Chris and I found that every time we said that out loud, it was like, it was like talking to a brick wall. So, so good comes first literally is a guidebook to helping leaders evaluate their current culture, see if it's close to at all what their ideal culture is, and then begin to be a bit more structured, a bit more intentional about the work culture and how people are treated every day. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, and so that's, that's kind of the key, but we literally realize that there's a lot of folks throughout the globe who have quit their jobs because their bosses weren't managing a 
even neutral work culture. But I, what what would be the three core things that you guys see that if somebody actually did what they you put in the book, you know, let's let's assume number one they buy the book, number two they actually read the book, <laughs> and number three they actually implement the stuff. What would be the three core things that you would see them, you know, taking away from reading and and getting into that book? Brian, it's a it's a, the best possible question because it's it's funny the media um business leaders chambers of commerce uh recruiting sites they're all talking about the labor shortage and that's just that's just total bull it's mm -hmm. i mean yes there's been a reprioritization people are certainly uh, you know after having this great experience of working from home they're certainly reluctant to go back to the to the old normal that wasn't it wasn't profitable or fulfilling for anyone but the company. But mm -hmm. the reality is we we don't have a labor shortage. We have a systemic failure to focus on workplace respect. And and when people don't feel respected, they're gonna they're gonna walk in, in today's climate. And so that's what's causing the great resignation. It isn't a labor shortage, it's people exercising their right to choose where they work. It's almost a quiet revolution. Well, let me build on on the respect piece. That is absolutely the foundational takeaway that we want leaders to to recognize to not only become aware of it, to begin to even start to observe interactions in their workplace in a little different way with a different filter. And it's it's the issue that for the most part, and Brian, you just hit it, most leaders have never been taught how to change the quality of their work culture. They, in fact, have never been incented or rewarded to improve the health of their work culture. So they, they're they reticent to go there. And the other piece is they know what they have lived through up to now. And so what, what great leaders are going to be able to do now is to be able to let different generations influence millennials gen x's oops gen z's I, I just saw an article last week of people talking about gen aa we're going into the kind of double double alphabet here now but but there's different desires there's different needs i would even go so far as to say there's different demands from different generations but what is very interesting about the 44 million uh, Americans alone quit their jobs voluntarily last year from January to November. We're waiting on the December data. That's a lot of people to quit. Mm -hmm. And they're quitting because they're not going to take it anymore. They know they have a choice and they also have a voice. And so they're pushing back a bit. And so not every business is facing this. Not every organization is facing this. But overwhelmingly, what we see is if leaders take the responsibility and actually implement these practices, it's very straightforward process they're going to create an environment where employees love to come to work. Um, so the question for you is somebody sees your book, they realize that there's a problem. What do there's usually a, a, a gap between what the perceived problem is and what the real problem is, right? So what is the perceived problem that the C level or the, you know, the plant manager, or whoever is going to get this book 
thinks that they have. So what's a perceived problem? Typically, in our experience, the perceived problem is the culture. Again, Mark said it earlier. It is what it is. There's mm -hmm. nothing we're doing to, to intentionally move it, shift it, drive it, check to see if it's okay. And so one of the perceived problems is our job here is to deliver X widgets, whatever those widgets are. And mm -hmm. people have been doing it for 10 years or 30 years or whatever it is. And so shut up, sit down, do your thing. And so there's not in a, let's call it an appreciation <laughs> that's expressed <laughs> on the part of leaders for you guys are frustrated. You guys aren't having a good time. You're not able to meet the standards that we used to have. What's happening? And all of a sudden, you can get into supply chain and change and change, you know, uh, market pressures as far as pricing and yada, yada, yada. And that's what leaders need to be able to focus upon is those frustrations may not be of my creation as a senior leader in my team or my department, etc. But it's my job to try and mitigate those as fast as possible. So it's an interesting shift from shut up and do your work. And mm -hmm. it, it's the only concept I have, right? This is leadership is simply hiring enough people to get crap done. And then I don't, there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying at work. Right. We don't want any drama, but shut up and, and deliver. And that is not at all the actual root problem. The root problem is the absence or lack of respect. Got it. So we know what the perceived problem is, but what is the real problem? What is the, you know, the, the big picture thing that is really holding these people back from wanting to adapt the change in culture that you're talking about? Well, I'll, I'll take a shot at that first. I, mm -hmm. Again, to, to uh, frame it around what, what Chris um, basically said, I'll paraphrase, is, is uh, Chris, we, we don't know how to make people happy. Well, have you tried? <laughs> or, or are you still relying on leadership techniques from 1974? And and so the the perceived problem, again paraphrasing, is people don't want to work. The real problem is people don't want to work here for me, mm -hmm. for my managers within this existing process. And mm -hmm. so it's it's a wake-up call. It's a it's it's a corporate societal wake-up call to say we need to make the workplace work better. And and when we tell and we and when we actually call people out in the book, we we refer to people who refuse to change, refuse to adapt. We say they are suffering from boomer male syndrome. And and that is not to imply that only old white guys like us <laughs> but 80 percent of them are because 80 percent of our mm -hmm. business leaders are old white guys mm -hmm. and so it's a huge transition for for someone to go from well we know the pandemic was bad and we know we were forced to let you work from home mm -hmm. and and we're glad that you enjoyed all that freedom and autonomy and, and that you finally got to decide when and where and how your work got done. But forget all that. I'm going to be a leader again and get your asses back to work. And, oh, by the way, nothing's going to change. Well, mm -hmm. that's the real problem is his employees are listening to that and going, oh, hell no. <laughs> right. I like being home for my dog. I like being home when my kids got home. 
I like right. helping them with school. I was more engaged in their homework. I like being here for my elderly parents. I right. like being part of a community again, as virtual as it was, where I just got to get my work done within this new balance that I found and I like. And and that's the real problem, Brian, is the pandemic has accelerated. Chris started this whole conversation by saying the first version of our book was all about the future of work. Well, guess what? The future of work is now. And back to the real problem, leaders have not adapted at all. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> as I say, I've got these things called baconisms, and I now put them up as called um, bridging the gap. And uh, my favorite one is normal is just a setting on a dryer. Right? Oh, I love that. I'm so some, stealing that. Yeah. We've kind of identified what the perceived problem is, what the real problem is. And, and basically, the perceived problem is, is we've always done it this way and change ain't going to happen easily. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to turn the boat around, all those kind of things. The real problem is change is here, whether you like it or not, and you have to adapt. So what is the overarching solution? Not, not the step-by-step, -step, but what is the overarching solution to this? Well, I tell you what, Brian. First, first, it here's the problem. Even be, well before the book came out, we were already hearing, especially us old white guys, that we had to stop being autocratic. We had to the mm -hmm. command and control leadership wasn't working more. That is a fifteen-year-old conversation, and mm -hmm. it hasn't gotten any better over those fifteen years. We're not listening. We're not adapting, and so even positioning the book are. Our, our agent and our publisher said, okay, great, but what's different about this that, that's not already being said? And and we realized that our practice, our Chris and I's work together was that guidebook, was a blueprint for actually changing leaders' perception of company culture and then changing the culture. And, mm -hmm. and so that that's where we had to start. And, and I, I mentioned earlier, this boomer mail syndrome thing. So great. You're, so you're pissing off the people that you actually want to read the book, <laughs> right? So maybe not that productive, but the conversation had to be started. We, we couldn't just have the same conversation that that's, that's been happening on Forbes and entrepreneur and fast company and business insider for 15 years. We had to have a very real conversation and we had to talk directly at the leaders or we weren't mm -hmm. going to get anywhere. And and I think that's that's where it started and that's what's different about this. And we had to take a, a more bold approach to this entire problem because culture is such a buzzword. <laughs> okay, yeah. So what's the real process? What are the things, what's, you know, kind of the steps one through three, one through five, whatever it is that they've got to go through in order to get to where they need to be? Well, we, we realize that leaders haven't been taught how to revise their culture. And so we need to build upon existing skill sets. And I, I made reference to that and we'll, we'll loop back to that in a minute. But we also need to make it rather simple. So there's three steps that we propose in the book and in our practice. Define your desired culture, then align plans, decisions, actions, players to that formalized culture. And mm -hmm. then you may have to refine people. You may, you may have to mm -hmm. refine practices. You may have to refine systems, et cetera, so that that ideal culture, your desired culture, really is lived day to day. And, and so define is the first step. 
Mm-hmm. And, 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 and we can, oh, we can go into a great, great, wonderful rabbit hole with that. But literally, it's the formalizing of the servant purpose of your organization. Notice that there's a rather distinct right. definition of purpose slash mission slash vision. Servant purpose is about what you do for others. And who are mm-hmm. those others and what do, they, what do you provide to them? Mm-hmm. So, so it's an interesting shift from our, our legit purpose day to day is to make money. Yep, I get that. And and I was a nonprofit exec for fifteen years, and we still had to make money. Otherwise, we couldn't run our programs, you know, drive our buses, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so having a purpose that is clearly demonstrating your how you improve the quality of life of others that's an interesting one and that's the first yes. piece of, of this organizational constitution then we ask you to formalize values in observable tangible measurable terms that's the biggest shift mm-hmm. and again i want to loop back to leaders do you proactively set performance targets yes do you set performance goals yes do you monitor those do are there consequences here you did good oh gosh here's what you have to do to fix that so -hmm. there's a bit of a system of clear expectations monitoring coaching measuring let's Mm -hmm. do that let's do that same thing with the values so we ask people to say take honesty as a value, it's a it's a very attractive value for organizations. And then, what two or three behaviors do you need people to be demonstrating, no matter their roles, right? Mm-hmm. Bosses to bosses, team members coaching a boss, whatever. How do you want them to be acting such that it will lead you to believe that honesty, as you see it needed in this work culture, is being demonstrated? So it means we need a list of three values, not ten. We need two or three behaviors each that are measurable. And just then, as you measure performance results, you measure respect results. So that's the that's the defined piece. Um, Mark, do you mind jumping in and, and filling in the kind of systems behind Align and Refine? Uh, of course. So, so now we, through... And this is Chris's brainchild, the organizational constitution. We have a piece of paper that says exactly who we are, why we're in business besides making money, who we serve, how we make our lives better, and the values and behaviors that would indicate that we're succeeding at all of that, right? And they're all clearly defined now. So now we have to jump into this, uh, the second phase, which is a line. Now we have to figure out Who's living those values now from, by the way, from the C-suite on down, do we have a leader that's living in that 1970s, do as, as I say, as I do um, realm, or, or do our leaders actually serve as chief role models for these values that, that we've decided are important? Do they exhibit, demonstrate the behaviors that, that, that we've uh, stated in the organizational constitution are are not just valid but lived and and then once we have that now now we have to have that measure piece right which is a huge part of the align process now we have to survey the employees the leaders in some case even our customers or vendors on how they're mm-hmm. being treated and now we now we have that delta we have that gap we say okay well this team According to our data survey, quantifiable data, yes, we can measure a human 
value a human behavior we can do that and we show you how to do that and good comes first and now we say well we want to score a five or a six and we're scoring ones and twos and threes right well now a line is closing that gap between the ones twos and threes and the five sixes and sometimes it's by the leader sometimes it's by the team sometimes it's by the the colleague or the co-worker that just isn't buying into this new culture this these new definitions of values they're not just the mission statement of the values we threw up on the wall or a poster in a conference room we're actually required to live to breathe these values um and some people just say no that isn't that isn't how it was before i'm not really happy here Te entire teams can revolt other teams become quite good at it become contagious pockets of pockets of excellence that everybody else goes holy crap they're doing really good and we're not what what are they doing different right so that all happens in the align process and finally the refine process is we're going to take all this data now and put it to good use and mm -hmm. we're going to we're going to further close those gaps even if it means that certain leaders and certain employees we have we might have to set them free lovingly set them free chris says we might have mm -hmm. to them go be successful somewhere else because they're not thriving within this defined and aligned culture and mm -hmm. our refinement processes chris and i say this all the time attrition is your best friend people are going to self-select out and others are going to say screw it i've been with this company 20 years i'm not changing well show them the door because they're they're if they're not aligned to the culture and if they're not allowing themselves to be refined if the mentoring and the coaching isn't working you can't be here anymore what are the you know number one i want to encourage people that every doctor needs a doctor every mentor needs a mentor every coach needs a coach so don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to at least envision what that would look like nothing says everything's a good fit for everybody but if somebody was to work with you guys and understand that they have that problem they've defined it they say okay yeah this is something i need help with what is the desired absolute best outcome for them what are what would you want them to achieve how do you feel successful when a client implements it well i'll start I, i'll tell you that the majority of leaders come to us with some sort of of holy crap moment right that the work culture is not civil it's not respectful it could even be toxic etc mm -hmm. so they come to us because either the drama has raised the red flag or productivity has gone down which raises mm -hmm. a red flag so we say here's this process if you're able to generate a work culture that equally values respect and results and again we get into great detail on on what that means and and how to accomplish it there's three primary benefits that occur in nearly every client we've worked with over the past 25 years first employee engagement i know goes up by 40 percent or more and so there that's that's interesting and and the next piece engagement at that growth leads to much better customer service 40 percent greater ratings or more again driven by engaged employees they serve your customers better which not surprisingly leads to 35 percent growth in results and profits now all of a sudden those leaders are reacting to the what'd you say about results again they grow by how much? Yeah, right. <laughs> because that's the way they're trained. And it's like, right. again, 
This is about the combination of respect and results in a work culture on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Every interaction has to be consistently reinforcing the purpose and the the products, how those, those people are being served, but also respectful to each other. And you said this best, Brian, people who are treating people with respect in the workplace, people who value workplace respect as much as they uh, as much as they track results, their their employee retention is going through the roof. Their mm-hmm. employee referrals are going through the roof. Labor shortage? No, we, we have a line mm-hmm. out the door because <laughs> our people actually like working here yeah. and they're referring this place, this work, this culture to those 44 million people who left their jobs last year. People grab this book and are willing to reflect a little bit and jump into the process they're already seeing results. Even though it might take 12 or 18 months to completely change the culture, they're seeing quick wins right now. All right, so why don't you guys tell everybody how to get a hold of you, how to get the book, give us all the deets, baby. Chris and I are both, we're old white guys who actually believe in the power of communication. Um, so you can always <laughs> find us on Facebook and uh, uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, and when we uh, appreciate everybody going to goodcomesfirst.com where you can find uh, not just the book, but some of our thoughts on the current uh, uh, workplace situation and and maybe it'll help you decide whether this is a, a book and a process that that your company might need right now so don't just go there to buy the book but actually kind of dive in a little bit and see see if this resonates with you no it's perfect and and i'll tell you we we know that leaders are challenged by this current pandemic kind of nest and it is likely that workplaces are never gonna be able to tolerate the old 1970s 1950s normal leader behaviors so you got to change so so this might help you get some confidence with where you need to go to modify the quality of your work culture and remember my friends normal is just a setting on the dryer So with that being said, gentlemen, thank you so much for your insight, for your time, for your your wonderful wisdom on this. I, I, I think what you're doing is so spot on. I really do. Thank you for letting us sprinkle some bacon bits into your brains. Want some more? Learn more about this podcast and our guest experts at baconpodcast.com. Have questions? Send them to askbrian at baconpodcast.com. Until next time, keep sizzling. And remember... It's all about the bacon.